Hi, and welcome to Dismantled, a podcast for intersectional environmentalists. I'm your host, Leah Thomas, and throughout this series, we'll be featuring conversations with diverse activists, changemakers, and leaders in the fight for climate justice. Intersectional Environmentalist, or IE as we call it, is a digital platform with resources, information, and action steps to help dismantle systems of oppression in the environmental movement. We believe conversations about the climate crisis must address and be led by those most impacted by it, Black, Indigenous, and POC communities. This season is sponsored by Drops, and today I have a very special guest. I'll be chatting with Drops founder and CEO, Jonathan Proper. Let's get into it. Welcome to Dismantled. I'm super excited about our guest today. I'm not sure if he knows this, but my first job out of college was actually at an eco-friendly laundry detergent company. So I learned a lot about ingredient transparency and the importance of having sustainable um, and plant-powered materials and ingredients. Um, But yeah, for people who don't know, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and drops? Like, What was your life like? What made you say, you know what? Home cleaning products, that's the way to go. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Everyone, you know, in in high school says, this is what I want to do, right? And um, (laughs) But one thing that did influence me a lot in high school was I I happened to participate in the first Earth Day. And that was um, a shame to say 50 years ago. In 1970, it was in Philadelphia. And it was on top of uh, a hill called Belmont Hill, which is Fairmont Park. And uh, Earth Day, if you can believe it, was not a controversial topic in those days. It was, uh, everyone wanted to save the Earth and protect the planet because you had Republicans and Democrats and and, uh, just everybody, uh, all sorts of politicians, they're promoting uh, and celebrating this first um, day to uh, take care of our planet. So how do you get to laundry detergents, right? So uh, after college and ever since, I've been unemployable. And so when one's unemployable, one has to create opportunities for oneself. And my stepfather uh, developed a patent for spinning cotton. And with my mother, we developed a, a company called the Conchahawken Cotton Company where we made these very fine um, cotton sweaters, hand-knit cotton sweaters, which a famous designer by the name of Perry Ellis started uh, designing sweaters with. My mother actually set about uh, developing a uh, detergent for cleaning uh, these fine $200-plus hand-knit cotton sweaters, and that was the sort of founding of the company. And then that led to a discovery of uh, where a very close friend said, I love your detergent, but hate measuring and pouring it. What can you, what can you do? And found this technology, uh, which was used in the janitorial trade for um, putting liquid in a dissolvable pouch, and that became drops. 
A lot of corporations that are contributing to climate change, whether that's oil spills, well, not just climate change, but both also including social injustice. So whether that's oil spills, labor issues, and human exploitation that we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of the responsibility kind of placed on the individual or the consumer um, to craft a more environmentally conscious and just world rather than some of these organizations taking ownership for their missteps and being fully transparent about their business practices and supply chain and being specific about how they're embodying sustainability um, on the environmental and people level. Um, so, for example, some missteps that we've seen this year, whether it's greenwashing, performative social media posts, or kind of commodifying social justice movements to make a profit. Um, can you weigh in on the tension between corporations being a part of the environmental issue we're seeing today and the blame that they're placing on consumers? Um, because I think that's an interesting take, you know, saying you know, placing it on the consumers to go plastic-free or only buy vegan clothing um, or else they're destroying the planet, those individuals versus a corporation looking internally and saying, okay, we probably have, you know, a much bigger impact than this one individual person. Yeah, I, I guess my my view is is um, it, it is hard to change people's behavior, right? But if you, but if you give some, if you give the consumer a choice that's easier and that's, Better, they're going to choose it every time. So if if we can, uh, as a corporation, just make it easy for the consumer to do the right thing by giving by curating, if you will, everything, curating ingredients, curating the packaging, behavior can change quite quickly, and you can make a very large impact. So now our next mission is really, you know, to is part of the single-use plastic. So that's why we joined with Oceana to try to raise our profile in this area and with the hope that that will um, inspire other uh, larger companies to take similar steps in this um, area of, of packaging that is um, compostable. That's really cool. And I think... We talk about that a lot at Intersectional Environmentalists about not necessarily shaming individuals and looking at the system instead and finding out what's going on there. Because like you mentioned earlier, um, it wouldn't feel right to shame a consumer who maybe the most affordable option for them at that time might be a plastic, super duper plastic, not even recyclable plastic, I don't know, um, cheap laundry detergent bottle, and maybe they can't afford another alternative. So kind of shifting the blame from individuals and to corporations um, like Drops to provide the consumers with better options. Um, because like you said, um, there's this great study by Futera, which I really adore with their consumer behavior data. And they're showing that most people across all age ranges, they do prefer to buy a product that's eco-friendly. Um, and is made with social good in mind. So if that's the case, I think some corporations need to step their game up. Yeah, if they put a box on the shelf instead of putting a plastic bottle on the shelf and they control 55% of the shelf, the consumer's going to buy that product and so they're going to do the right thing and the consumer's going to do the right thing because you've 
you've made it easy for them to make the right choice. And also, as a completely separate side note, I was watching YouTube the other day, and I think I saw one of my favorite ads of, like, all of 2020 um, from Drops. There was, like, this workout situation that was happening. I don't know if you know the commercial that I'm talking about. There's, like, a like an instructor who's talking about plastic, and it's, like, a workout. Hi, everyone. Hey, hi, everyone. Let's dance. The drop stance goes like this. Drop it high. Drop it low. Spin around. And drop it in the drum. Take a deep dive into the ocean. Look at all this garbage. There's more plastic than fish down here. The drops package is not just recyclable. It's fully compostable. Doesn't that feel good? Can't you feel your weight shrinking already? No more lugging that heavy plastic container. It's prehistoric, like that guy. Bend and lift. Bend and lift. That's how you pick up drops at your doorstep. Once drops is in the drum, just dance like nobody's watching. It's just dawning on me that, like, you are the star of all of these hilarious commercials and, like, really informative commercials over the last couple of years, um, and that's just so cool. Um, and I mentioned that because we found an article in the Philadelphia Citizen, I believe, and it's called Meet the Disruptor Drops, and there's this picture of you and you're shirtless, and you're holding a box of drops back in 2017. But the point is, not the shirtlessness, but you mentioned in that article that the retail business is a scam, and it's built for bigger companies like, you know, I won't name any names, but some other popular laundry detergent brands. Could you expand on this? Um, because with greater demand and transparency and environmentally conscious ingredients and ethical sourcing, won't retailers want to have more brands like Drops on their shelves? Yeah, you 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 would think so, but I'll, I'll give you a classic a classic example when going to big big retailer. Uh, big retailer has, let's say, uh, five thousand stores, and they have roughly um, five hundred distribution centers. That so you ship to a distribution center, and that distribution center services ten stores, if you will. So come to the to the buyer, and there's one buyer for those, for, for these big retailers, and say, I've got a product that uh, one truckload of my product is three truckloads of their product. Which would you rather distribute? Oh, well, I'd rather distribute your product. And then I said, well, and my product, I'm going to give you 30 points, and they're giving you 12. Which would you rather sell? Well, I'd rather sell your product. Well, then why is it that I'm on the bottom of the shelf or the top of the shelf and they're all eye level? Oh, because they take out all their product if we uh, didn't give them that, that uh, you know, eye level shelving, if you will. Five years ago, when, bef you know, before Big Laundry came into the laundry unit dose market, they, s they said nobody wants unit dose for laundry, right? Um, they want to control how much they're putting in, the, in their washer. Well, um, no one ever complained about carrying a box of dish detergent around, right? 
but people all the time talk about lugging a jug of detergent around, that it's sort of, that it's inconvenient. So it was clear that the, uh, that the opportunity for liquid unit dose laundry pods was huge, but big laundry just had a defined supply chain system, which we talked about earlier, of injecting, molding these bottles, filling these bottles, and sh shipping them to distribution centers. And they have a lot of dollar investment in that equipment. And if they're going to introduce um, uh, innovation, they have to do it slowly because they need to ratchet down their capital investment while they ratchet up capital investment into the new technology. And the only reason they went into, into liquid pods was not because they, when you had 55 or 60% of the market, not because they, they thought that that was um, the right thing to do from a sustainability standpoint, they began to lose market share because we had a recession in 2008, 2009. And that recession led people to move down and in terms of their brands. So if you were buying the premium brand, you moved to the middle brand. If you were buying the middle brand, you bought the store brand. And so the, the leading brands said, we're going to lose market share if we don't innovate and bring, uh, you know, something to, to the category. Because at the time, also, we were like the, we were like the, um, the apple on the shelf. Everything else was a PC. You went down a detergent aisle, there's rows and rows of bottles, right? What was the difference between them? There's virtually no, no dis distinction. And here we were in, in uh, these unit dose pods on the shelf. So you want to make that visible to the consumer so they have the opportunity to see that there's something out there that's new and, new and different and might be better in a, in, in a lot of ways. But... Um, that was not the case until we had a recession and they had to then bring innovation and they looked at our innovation as being what the consumer really liked. And, um, and so now we have 20, 25%. So that's sometimes, it's circumstances sometimes that is what it takes to get things um, in motion to change. But the only reason it's not 50% of the market or 55% of the market is because they still have all those plants that, you know, are filling those jugs, and until they write off that equipment, will they, you know, be more into pod technology, if you will. And shifting gears a little bit, um, 2020 has been, you know, a year. I don't know how to say it any better. It's been, you know, it's been odd. Um, but, yeah, so how are you taking care of yourself during this time? Are there any daily routines or lack thereof that keep you grounded? And also, how are you all taking care of the folks that you employ? Um, and yeah, what have you all learned through um, all that is 2020? Yeah, well, for, first of all, we have a mantra which says safety first, quality second, production third. And so safety safety is not only for, for the products we use and our and manufacture, but also for all of our, our team members. And so we immediately actually moved into a much larger facility so that people could spread out. And um, uh, we sacrificed some space and we sacrificed some uh, efficiencies 
um, but we um, uh, but we kept all but one day everyone employed and um, and and safe. So uh, in addition to that, uh, we were we were a company that and that. Uh, uh, did a lot virtually prior to this time. Other than our, our manufacturing distribution facility in, in Chicago, we have people spread all over the country. Uh, some concentrated around New York, some, um, some in Texas for, for IT. But um, basically when people had to, had to move towards a more virtual environment, we were already there as a company. We were already using great tools like Slack and Hangouts and Zoom. And, and so we didn't have, um, and, and the basic reason for that is, uh, you know, we're about eliminating the, elevating the core and eliminating the stupids. And one of my stupids is commuting, right? Commuting every day, taking two hours to get to some place um, is just, uh, you know, just not, not necessary every day. Yes, we all have to get together. We all want, we all need and love that human interaction. But we want to do that when we meet. We want to do that efficiently, and and therefore, when we're not meeting, we can work more productively um, because we're in an environment that we're comfortable with, and and we're not wasting time getting from point A to point B. From a from a personal standpoint, um, I, I went to. You know, heard something quite quite a long time ago that if you do something for 21 days in a row, it's a habit. So I've always done some sort of exercise every day, and I schedule my whole day around it. Which means it could be six in the morning, or it could be seven at night. But I just look at my calendar and say, where am I going to plug in my run or bike ride or you know something that I'm going to do to to sweat, if you will. And of course, that creates another opportunity to do another load of laundry, which, which I do a fair amount of and not embarrassed about. Um, um, but that's you know how you learn about your products and and um, is by is by using them. Needless to say, not not asking someone else to use them unless you you know you need the knowledge. I love that. And I think I've been trying to incorporate just more exercise in my life. I have a Peloton bike now that I got on Facebook market and it's been a lot of fun. And honestly, um, yeah, I don't do it as a form of like self punishment or anything like that, but it's really just a way to, it makes me feel good, you know, and I work out because, you know, it makes me feel really good and it's a way to practice self-care. And that leads into one of our last questions that we like to ask all of our guests. Um, but what advice would you tell your younger self? If you could have a conversation, if you could go back in time, for some reason I'm getting this visual of you like going into a laundry machine and somehow it being like a dye machine and it bringing you back to Earth Day. Um, <laughs> um, but what would you tell yourself? For me, I would definitely tell myself that external validation is a bunch of baloney um, and you can't find your worth in what other people think about you or your relationship or your job or anything like that. You have to know um, inherently that you're 
worthy regardless and kind of go from there. But what nugget of advice would you give yourself? I don't think it's unique. Uh, I, I do think, um, you know, follow your passions, uh, follow your interests, don't compromise your beliefs uh, because it will always bite you. You'll always, you'll resent uh, either someone else or yourself for, if you do that. And, um, and uh, though it may not be quite evident at a particular age what, you, um, what you're going to pursue as a, in a career, um, you, you do know what makes you feel good and what, and what gives you that little feeling in your tummy that's not so good. And so, you know, just avoid the, the not so goods and, and, and pursue what, what's, uh, because if you, because if you do those things, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, you know, it's an old phrase. You, if you're doing what you love, what you're doing, you never work a day in your life, but, and as trite as it sounds, it's actually, you know, there's a lot of truth to it. And, and, and also, you know, uh, uh, bring all sorts of people into your life too, because I've always, diversity is the chief source of progress. If people have different backgrounds, world, world views, they're more likely to produce new ideas within the, in the group. Um, avoid, also avoid situations that are 100% comfortable to you. Put, put yourselves in some situations that not, not are entirely comfortable because that actually um, helps you grow because you learn about, you know, you learn about yourself in, in, um, in those situations. Snaps to that. And is there anything else you want to tell? You covered so much that I think is going to be really helpful for, um, our listeners to learn about, you know, what sort of companies they should be supporting. Um, you taught us a lot about, you know, what is eco-friendly laundry detergent in the first place and why it's so beneficial. Um, but is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with? Just, just that uh, you shouldn't have to compromise, that sustainability and affordability are not mutually exclusive, and feel good about, about doing things that are just better um, because you'll get closer to, to that perfection and little wins are just as, just as important as big wins. Well, thank you so much to Jonathan for joining me today and the IE community, and to all of you all for tuning in to this week's episode of Dismantled. We'll be bringing you new episodes every other week and posting updates on our Instagram at Intersectional Environmentalist. You can also find us on Twitter and LinkedIn and, I don't know, maybe some other social media sites too. Thanks for listening. I'm Leah Thomas, and here's to a future that's intersectional. Intersectional.